Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and your guest is Rob Schneider. He is heavily involved in the New York scene. He was one of Feinstein 54 Below original programming directors. He has a very popular podcast, also on Broadway Podcast Network, called Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, so make sure to check that out. He's one of the two co-founders of J2 Spotlight Musical Theater Company, And we get into that story, of course. The other co-founder, Jim Jamiro, an incredible guy, invented the Disney Channel. So you want to hear his story. That episode with him, I interviewed Jim, just dropped on my other podcast, Was It Chance? Which you can find wherever you're listening to this podcast now. So make sure you're subscribed and listening to that as well. It's super fun. Rob is a super fun guy. I cannot wait to share this episode with you because we share the same amazing Dry? Yeah, we'll go with amazing, horrible sense of humor. (laughs) So I apologize in advance for all of our really amazing, horrible jokes. Find me online on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. Even on Spotify, you can leave a review now. That's brand new. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Rob Schneider. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here 
Our guest today is one of Feinstein's 54 Below original programming producers, a freelance director, one of the hosts of the amazing podcast Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. He's also the artistic director for the J2 Spotlight Musical Theater Company, which just began its second season with the first show opening February 10th. Get your tickets now. Check the show notes for that. Having survived... The Broadway shutdown of 2020, 2021, they are back. And he even has a new book coming out on March 31st called 50 Key Stage Musicals, which I personally cannot wait to read. Again, check the show notes for the link to pre-order that now. Rob Schneider, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Alan, thank you so much for having me. Do you want to be my agent? I would love to. Do I Do I get 10% of, of, of nothing? Of, Absolutely. Of nothing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you find a penny in between your sofa, that's your annual salary. So I don't have to do anything. Sweet. Um, I think it's very cool that uh, you're the artistic director for J2. And I, I definitely want to get to the book because the book, I, I'm envious of people who write books. And we're going to get to all of this stuff because I want to write a book. I don't know exactly what I want to write it about. but you know. um, Scratch and sniff? What are we thinking? I'm thinking, I'm, well, pop up scratch and sniff. Definitely, um, I think that's a, a an underutilized genre. So I think so too. But it's going to be in in partnership with Mike Rowe. So dirty jobs, <laughs> pop up scratch and sniff. <laughs> I uh, can't. I can't wait. I'll buy the Kindle edition. <laughs> <laughs> well, that well. Spoiler alert: Amazon and I we've been talking, so they're going to oh. have a new Kindle with um, with Smellovision. <laughs> That's actually a genius idea. <laughs> oh my gosh! Go copyright this. What if you? What if you had a book or a Kindle that, as you turn the page, it had a little, little poof of book smell? I would love that. Actually, I think that could be a lot of fun. Because there are a lot of people that, like, I'm a digital guy, obviously very tech nerdy, and and I don't like physical books because of like there's an impact in the environment, and I I just like if I'm traveling, I want. Every literally, you can put an entire internet in your pocket. Yeah. So there, but there are people who are like, no, I got to have a physical book. I want to turn the page. The smell of the book, right? And of course, there's like the the touch. We'll get there, but smell a vision in a Kindle. That's lovely, but you should date more. Like if that's exciting, <laughs> is the fact that the book smell like. So let me get you on Tinder or something or Grinder. Let me help you out a little bit, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's um, a brilliant, a brilliant transition um, to get away from dating. I don't know. Um, <laughs> J two, yes, you're, you just started. You just started season two, or Feb or you're about to start, or have started, depending on when you, the listener, are listening to this episode. So, first show, February tenth. J two, the artistic director for this amazing, amazing theater, which uh, you co-founded with Jim Jamiro. Yes. Yeah, the guy, yeah, yeah. The guy created the Disney Channel. Yeah, Jim, absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal. Shameless plug. I interviewed Jim for my other podcast. Was it Chance? That'll come out around the same time this episode does. So amazing interview. But this guy just loves theater. How did you two get connected? And then where did the idea for starting a theater come from? You know, we got connected actually through 54 Below. I had done the 50th anniversary concert of The Happy Time, which I'm still surprised is not a national holiday. And <laughs> when I did that, um, Jim, who I did not know, came to see it and apparently had a really good time. And he sought me out. And he was like, can we get lunch together? 
And so usually when someone asks me to lunch at Cena's show at 54, it's usually like two geeks just geeking out about musical theater and we have a club sandwich and we go home. Um, but he said to me about halfway through the conversation, he said, how would you like to do what you're doing at 54 Below, but on a larger scale? Because at 54 Below, we only do the songs. You know, there's no book, there's no choreography, there's none of that stuff. So Jim was asking what, what would happen if we could like expand it and actually do the whole show. And I was like, well, if you've got the money for that, I am more than game. And we did a handshake and that's how that all got started. We both, we both had parallel ideas because I had been thinking about doing a theater company for a while specifically to showcase new and emerging talent in the city because I really don't think there's a lot of places that do that. You know what I mean? Like people that are just yeah. starting out. And he wanted to bring back a lot of the old shows that he had seen and he had loved growing up. So I was like, can we marry these two ideas together? And that's how it came about. So, okay. So then continue then... Um... You said you were going to do this, and how long ago was this? Because you you started season one Twi right right before the pandemic or during oh, the pandemic? Oh my god! Right as the pandemic started, um, it was. It, I have to tell you that our first season it was cursed because like a week this is a week before the first show was supposed to open, my mom died, so oh no. I had to go back home to California and take care of that. Then I got back, and we were about to open the third show. And we were literally walking to the theater on opening night when the theater called us and said, hey, the city's going to go into a lockdown, but it's only going to be for two weeks. We'll see you in two weeks. Um, <laughs> and two years later, we're doing that show. So, oh, wow. So you never finished the first. The no, first we never finished our first season. We got two shows up and running. And then the third show literally closed on opening night. Wow. And it was so sad because like a year later, they were like, hey, you have to come clean out the theater now. And we went in and it was all still set for opening night, except there was oh. dust on everything. It was like very surreal and very bizarre. So oh. I'm happy that we're getting to do it again because it's a, I think it's a really special show. That's really weird. Oh, man. Um, that's super shitty. That, Would you like uh, to hear I, more depressing stories on today's podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, Called is this... I living? <laughs> <laughs> well... You obviously have a massive, massive, massive love for theater because your podcast, be, be, your pad, your podcast has been around for years. You've got like five hundred something episodes. It's insane. We started, we started in nineteen sixty eight, and then <laughs> we were just waiting for a place to launch it. And thank God, podcast came around. You were just like, I'm going to record these. I'm going to call them a podcast, and then I'm going to wait for it's a company <laughs> called Apple to invent the iPod. And then call it the podcast. <laughs> Our first guest was silent screen stars Fetabara. It was a very awkward <laughs> conversation, just dead silence on her end. Uh, I'm going to play a clip of that right now. Doesn't she say that? was amazing. Right? That was amazing. That was absolutely Yeah. <laughs> she just let it all hang out there. Good for her. <laughs> all right. So tell me then, take me back, little Rob. Where did you get in? Where did you? <laughs> tell me Never about your little, little Rob. Never been little. You can talk to my, my doctors about that. Never been little. <laughs> <laughs> well, what got you into musical theater? What was like the, the touchstone moments to, to bring you into your love for performing? I was born in Brooklyn. And from the time I was three years old on, my parents took me to a Broadway show every weekend. And then when I moved out to California, when I was also somewhat young, um, they then like to make up for it, just like got me every single movie musical that that was available. So for me, it's always been a part of my DNA. It's, it's always been a part of my life. So I don't even, I can't even think of a time where like musical theater was not an essential part of who I am. So that's how I got into it. And I loved it. I can't sing. 
can't sing we're shit. Can I say can I say that on here? Yeah. I can't sing, cannot sing we're shit, but I've directed over like a hundred musicals. Well, when did you decide that you wanted to do it professionally? I guess, and what was what did your parents do that that they were like from three years old? Like that's a lot of commitment to, to take you to that many shows. <laughs> it really is. My mom was um, a psychotherapist. Uh, and then uh, retired when me and my brother were born. So that way she could become a homemaker. And my dad, he's had an interesting life. He was Chuck Schumer's chief of staff um, really? for a number of years when Chuck was uh, an assemblyman and then a congressman. And then my dad switched careers and he's a private investigator. Whoa. That it was, is, it was that, a, that, the Remy not to make you upset because... <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be digging up dirt on everybody, I'm sure. It was, it was odd growing up because like, if I did something wrong, my dad would find out before I could confess to it, and then my mom would explain why I did it. So, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there was no, no, no sense of normalcy there. But yeah, and they, my mom really loved theater. My mom really loved theater. And so um, she was the one who funneled me into that sort of career path. Why not go into private investigation? That seems like such, you know, you see spy movies. That seems like such a... F- Fun. My father literally sits outside in like a Toyota Corolla on the floor for six hours with a camera waiting for somebody to come out. And I was like, this is not necessarily the life for me. He loves it. it. I'm just like, this this is not for me. I cannot sit in the car that long. It's a good time to listen to podcasts, I guess. What I said. He does. He sometimes he'll text me. He's like, hey, great podcast. By the way, we arrested the guy. <laughs> He's like, or well, the guy chased me with a bat, so I had to stop the episode, but I'll listen to it later. Serious? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, okay, thanks, thanks, Dad. Oh my goodness, that's hope you that sounds like so much fun. That sounds like fun. Well, I, God, I love that. I love that you have parents with such non-Broadway uh, theatrical backgrounds who who found such an enjoyment and such a value and. Uh, to to bring you and expose you to it and support you, it sounds like along the way and and for your journey to get into the space, that's yeah. that's huge. When you have two parents who are not involved, and then to have somebody who's like, "This is all I want to do," that sometimes can cause a lot of conflict. Oh, absolutely. But no, my parents were always supportive of me. And I remember one time in college, I was I was going through like an early midlife crisis, and I was like, "I'm not going to do theater anymore. I'm going to be a lawyer." And my parents got so angry at me. And they said, "How you know you cannot give up on your dream? You cannot give up on this." And I, 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 I think I'm like the only person I know that has that story where the parents were angry. I was going to leave the arts, you know. Mm-hmm. So, huh? I was lucky in that way. I was really lucky in that way. I did not have that conversation. I, I, yeah. My, my, my dad didn't have an opinion. Well, he didn't voice his opinion. I know he wanted something concrete. Yeah. Uh, and my mother gave me the mandatory advice that I had to take what of you can do computer science with or, or you, sorry you can act with a computer science degree but you can't do computer science with an acting degree oh so cuz i originally was like oh i'm going to look at acting schools columbia that sounds like a good one that's that's in new york i'll go there yeah. and she's like mm, no nope, too expensive stay local in north carolina where i'm from lots of good universities there so I ended up getting a computer science degree, which has now led me down this yeah. funky path of combining tech and Broadway and theater. And it's been it's been an interesting journey as well. What did your folks do? 
My uh, my mom was a dance major, and my dad uh, was a neurologist. He's they're, oh. they're both retired now, and and so then my my mother my mother I'm the oldest, so once I was born, um, I've got a younger brother, and the two of us were home. She, she again, she decided to be a yeah. stay at home mom too, and God, I have so much respect for her now. Now that the pandemic, especially now that the pandemic is here, and I'm having to do a job, a daytime job, and be sometime somewhat of a full-time parent because the kids have been home. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like full-time parents, I love you. You you are so undervalued. And Jesus, I am a better dad when I don't see my kids all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you heard that, kids. How many kids do you have? Two. Just the two. Just the two boy and a girl or two, two boys? Two oh, boys. How old are they? Uh seven, seven and a half seven, yes. Seven and five and a half. So oh, wow. they're, both, they're both little shits and I love them. And they're the they bounce off the walls. They are the cutest, annoying, best things to ever happen to me. I love that. I love that. How did they cope with like online school? Well, they don't really know much difference, which is sad. Yeah. I have a friend and her kids are the same ages as your kid. And she and she said the same thing. She said, "Oh, you know, they don't. They really don't know the difference because they didn't have that. Yeah, and that is sad. You're absolutely right. That's very sad. Because in in Brooklyn here, of course, where we live, right? It's the New York life is not the same. And even even in suburbs now, it's not the same when we were kids. Where it's just like when I'm seven, like my older son. When I was seven, I would go out for hours, and my parents wouldn't know where I was. Yeah, and." You can't do that in New York anyway. You shouldn't. No. And but then even in suburbs now, because of, I mean, what I heard was two years ago or something. It was right before the pandemic. There was like a mom who got arrested for letting her eight or eight year old or something just walk home from school by himself. And so he, she got reported to Child Protective Services for letting her her eight year old walk through a park by himself or something. And it was this ridiculous. Years ago, all our parents would be in jail. Right. <laughs> That's so that. that that's the point. Yeah. I'm like, like, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you rode in station wagons without seatbelts and we're oh, jumping Lord. around. Or like hold mommy's cigarette while she makes a left-hand turn. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, here, poison test this bourbon for me. <laughs> there you go, boy. Oh, you're still alive. All right. Now, my parents, makes my you parents. <laughs> Put hair in your chest. Put hair in your chest. Oh, come on. You can live in a house with lead paint. What's the problem? <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. So that's what my parents did. They uh, they listened to musical theater albums all the time. My oh, mother okay. listened to a lot of operas too. But, oh. but my, my, my touchstones, my things were uh, Singing in the Rain, Music Man, and West Side Story on VHS. And we wore, we listened to those, wore them out, yeah. watched those all the time. Yeah. Um, and the Cats soundtrack, cast album, the original cast album of that, and uh, then there was the other thing. It was a, there was a Sesame Street Big Bird album I listened to. Those were like the five things as a kid that I remember very, I very well. It. I love yeah. it. Oh, that's so cool that your parents gave you that. Yeah, yeah. But they were more practical. Like I think my mother definitely wanted to um, uh, live vicariously through, through me a little bit, so she encouraged me to... I put in air quotes, follow the dream while still saying, don't follow it too hard because you really need to pay the bills. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it seems like everything's worked out for you. You have a great job and you're still involved in the arts. 
it's it's been an interesting transition. And now authors, I want to come to your book a little bit, um, which I want to tie into the podcast because you seem to have such a a deep, deep knowledge of theatrical fundamentals mm. of of the pivotal people, even behind the scenes, not just on stage actors, right? But um, let me read the the little bit from your podcast. So your podcast, Behind the Curtain, collects the wit, wisdom, and anecdotes of musical theater's greatest artists from the golden age to now, from actors, directors, designers, playwrights, press agents, to general managers. So it's a podcast, it's a celebration of the giants who help shape the theater. So this is a lot of deep knowledge and trivia that even your standard theater lover, who is just going to know cast albums and leads and whatnot, wouldn't even get into. So where did where did this extra level of like of detail come from? So growing up in California, um, we rarely went back to New York. So if I wanted to find out, and there was no internet, if I wanted to find out something about musicals, which I loved, I would go to the library and I would take theater books off the shelf, and I would ju- I would literally sit there for hours and hours and hours, and you would read the same books over and over and over again. So you just sort of like started to memorize these names that popped up and you saw things like general manager and you were like, what is a general manager? And so for me, that's where like that minutia detail comes from because we didn't, I could not go to a Broadway theater anymore. We were all the way on the West coast. And like I said, there was no internet. So you would read the liner notes, you would read the magazines, you would read the New York times and you would just read it over and over and over again, because that's all you had access to. You that, say you say you like you say like you like you and I would both do this, but I think this was I picture you in a in a dark library with like one one spotlight right above you. Yes, thank you, Doctor Allen. I'm so I, I think I'm realizing a lot of my issues now. No, I I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. And then I got to a point where I was I was like, I would love to talk to all these people now that I'm in the city whose names I've been memorizing for years and years and years. Um, and that's where the idea for the podcast came from. Purely selfish. I wanted to meet all these people that were my heroes. Was it hard for you to get going? Because you're, you're one of the OG theater podcasts. Thanks. Thanks. Right? Like you've been around for, for decades, you know, since the 50s or 40s, uh, the 1840s. Yeah. And our, our first episode broadcast live from the opening of Showboat, <laughs> which was very exciting for all of us. So we've been around a long time. <laughs> Oscar Hammerstein, we're from a podcast. What's that? Be careful, that stock market's going to crash. Um, <laughs> so what was the question? <laughs> I have no clue. Oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, one of the OGs. Yeah, it, I think it was us and the amazing Patrick Hines who had the Theater People podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really didn't listen to podcasts before all of this. So I was like, what's so, uh, like you sit and you talk for a while, let's see what happens. And 500 plus episodes later, this is what happens. What do you think you've learned the like something a through line that you figured out that you wouldn't have known if you hadn't been doing the podcast? I think for me like it validated that there is no security in this business and that you really are as only good as your last. Um you know we interview people that are 80 85 that have you know multiple awards and after the podcast is over they'll say do you know if blah 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 is auditioning or do you know where I can get money to produce this and you go Huh? <laughs> so that never goes away. But to me, I'm also like, well, that's very comforting. 
Because I think in our mind, we always go, there's going to be a moment where we, we will hit like artistic success and we can just relax. And to hear like 80 and 90 year olds going, oh no, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. That was a through line and Danny Kay was an asshole. That was the other through line that we learned. Those were the only two things I can bring to the table. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Danny Kay is one of my mom's favorite actors. I'm going to tell her not to listen to that. Alan, I'm so, we have heard stories about him. Like, every, anytime you bring Danny Kay up, he'll go, he's an asshole. And then like, it becomes like group therapy. And they just want to talk about it and get it off their chest. <laughs> That's the one consistent. I don't think we've ever found anyone who said anything nice about Danny Kay. What's interesting is my version of that of that answer is that I'm glad I didn't make it on Broadway. Oh yeah, How because of the exact same thing you just said. Because when you're successfully in a show, you're still looking for your next job. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that doesn't go away. There's no sense of security. No, no. And then you throw in all the other crap about global pandemics and everything that. You know, like the 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 t there's TV and film and voiceovers and the internet has overcomplicated it because now yeah. anyone can be discovered on YouTube or on TikTok and I mean you've got what the the production and there's nothing against these people this is good and bad because people who wouldn't have the opportunity are being found and yes. it, it dilutes the pool and makes it harder for even that those people who are still that successful yeah but yeah to your point. God, uh, that's the that's my through line is that I love hearing everybody else's stories, but damn, I there's a part of me that's like I I I want to be the best and try to overcome it, but probably wouldn't happen and I'm glad I don't have to have that struggle. No, but you've also created your own path for yourself. And I think yeah. that's also something that's really important that I also think was a through line for us on our show, which was hearing people really creating their own journey. And no one's journey is the same. And I think, because I also, I teach as well, and I think that's something I wish a lot of college-age students know, uh, knew about this before they went into the industry. Because I think they, they're being taught, you know, like you're a Corey Cott type. So that student then goes, okay, well, I'm going to learn all the songs Corey Cott learned, and I'm going to do what he did, and I'm going to work at the theaters he worked at. And it's like, you can't do that. Right now, I feel like it's an education. It's a lot of factory. It's a lot of like an assembly line of things. So I wish that students would embrace more of their uniqueness because it's the uniqueness that becomes successful on Broadway. Look at somebody like Lynn. Look at somebody like Kristen Chenoweth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Their unique voice is what makes them successful. Not They're not copies of anybody. Well, right, right. So embracing what makes you unique, embracing what makes you specifically different is is what's going to set you apart in a good way. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that because a lot of the teachers, like you said, the teachers are are pushing people through a, an assembly line. And what I have seen being in the technological space is that there every day the gap between what teachers are traditionally telling people, like you can be a good singer, you can be a good dancer, you can be such and such. But to you are your own product and you have to know marketing skills. You have to know the yeah. business of show business. Yeah. And that's where a lot of, I think, conservatories are falling real flat right now. I agree with you 110%. And I'm going to be honest with you. That was another reason why I created the podcast. Um, my Kevin and I, who's my co-host, we both taught and 
he had a very interesting undergrad experience. And I taught at Penn State University. And I love Penn State. But at the time, there were some things I'm like, this feels wonky to me. But I don't think universities do a good job in the theater department of building a bridge from the academic world into the professional world. Mm-hmm. Like the last semester, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, you're a product. And, ki- and students have no idea what to do. And so for me, with the podcast, I was like, I hope young people are listening to this and hearing you have to do X, Y, and Z. You do have to be a business. You do have to hustle. And this is how you hustle. You know, mm-hmm. that was an also an important part for me, which is I wanted to be educational as well. Where do you teach? Let's plug, plug your teaching right now. Where can we take classes well, I teach, for you? I teach at Penn State University. Um, I've been teaching there since 2006, but I teach online now. Um, the New York Film Academy, uh, which has a musical theater department, and Mount Union, which is a school in Ohio. All three of those are online-based. So I guess, yeah, location ultimately doesn't matter anymore. And no. I think that's case in point, too, to what we were just talking about, that you have to be able to navigate the technology. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's a fantastic thing. I think the fact that we will not have any more open calls where people are lining up at 3 a.m. in a blizzard to (laughs) eight bars or not to sing at all, which to me is so horrendous and sadistic. I'm I'm so happy that's gone because now it's we'll put you on self-tape because now everyone knows how to do a self-tape. But you're right. Now everyone has to learn the skills of what makes a successful self-tape audio visual lighting and all that stuff. That's one of the silver linings I feel we can pull out of the pandemic shutdown is is that everybody without knowing it had to learn how to be a lighting designer and yeah. a sound engineer yeah. and everything that they that they previously didn't know about home recording setup all of a sudden they had to be experts on so they yep. can continue to work. And I think that's great. I really do. I think this is, it's such an exciting time to be in this business because it is rapidly evolving. How did you guys audition for J2 for the second season? Did you do it we through did, all? The, the initial audition was self-tape. Everyone, which was great because then we could see people from all over the United States who wanted to submit, which was very exciting. And then we felt if we needed to have them in for a callback, we brought them into into an in-person callback. I do not want to go back to in-person open auditions. I think it's unfair to the actor. Um, I think it's not, I I don't think it shows them to the best of their ability. And I know some actors don't like that because they want to be seen by a casting department. I I understand that, but I think in, in the long run, this is better off. Them, I agree with you. For them. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And it it's a lot nicer. Like you said, you don't have to, to drive overnight, line up at 3, no. 4, 5 a.m., not even get seen if you get, you know, because you might not even get seen at all. There's these people trying to get in these equity open calls when they're not even casting because equity, the union rules require you to have open calls. Yeah, and then you go into the room and these people behind the table are just sitting there waiting for their day to be over. It's not helpful for anybody. So I'm excited. I do think that out of this pandemic, there have been positives that have come out of it. And I think that is one of them. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Your book. Yeah. 
Nifty Key Stage. Oh, I'm get the title. I don't know either. So there we go. <laughs> I used to call it 50 Key Musicals, and then they were, they were like, "No, it's called 50 Key Stage Musicals." 50 keys, 50 key stage musicals. So the <laughs> As opposed to like 50 key kabuki musical. I don't know. 50, 50 key West End Australian kabuki musical. <laughs> Koala, show number one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, you call that a show? This is a show. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's really good. <laughs> Pulls out a giant knife with the word show on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Crocodile Dundee and My Fair Lady is what I've always Wait, They're making a Karate Kid musical. They should make a, a Crocodile Dundee musical. Absolutely. Get Hugh Jackman in there. We're ready. <laughs> <laughs> they just call it Crikey. I would see that. I would absolutely see that. <laughs> and if you want to sing Shapoopy in it too, awesome. Let him live his life. But let's just get this mu musical off the ground, please. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm the brains. You can bring the money. Right. Or vice versa. Right. There we go. Jim, uh, we need so, okay, 50 key stage book. musicals. What the book? It comes out March 31st. Yes. They fast track this because yes. it's such a freaking awesome book. So give us a little hint of what is one of the biggest. I guess these are all transitional moments, right? The, the 50, how did you narrow it down to 50? And where were you like, uh, I guess, is there a roadmap of, well, vaudeville started and then there was cats. <laughs> well, I mean, that's pretty much the book, Alan. I think you've read it. Um, <laughs> literally one page. <laughs> uh, no, with our uh, the thing that we were guided by was if it wasn't for this show, there would not have been shows A, B, C, and D. So you had to, so that was our criteria. And that's how we got it down to the 50 that we selected. There are some on there that I know are going to, I know there are shows that are missing that are going to piss people off. And I know there are shows that are in this list that people are going to be like, what the fuck? Like, how did they, why? Why is Susicle in there? You'll see. <laughs> Read the book. Which came first, Susicle or Shrek? Susicle. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Then there, let's see. Let me take a guess at a couple. So Beauty and the Beast was ushered in the whole age of Disney theatrical. Fabulous. Um, Rent brought in the rock opera. Great. Um, Hamilton. You got to end with Hamilton, probably. I don't know what you ended with. No, we. I think we ended with Dear Evan Hansen. Oh. We ended with Dear Evan Hansen. I'm going to be honest with you, and this is really controversial. We were not even going to have Hamilton in the book. What? Yeah, because we were like, well, what other musicals have sprung up because of Hamilton? Huh. And that was our first discussion, which was like, well, what what exactly? Because we're so close to it, just because we're so close to it. That's why. Um, we were like, what has it created a space for in terms of other shows being created? So that was our first thing. And then as we dug in, we're like, oh, I think we have different angles on it. But originally yeah. it was not going to be in there. It oh that that is that would be very controversial. But you're right, because I feel like in the theater space, yeah, it has it's created an opening that people haven't filled in yet because there hasn't been enough time. Yes. And that's yeah. And but where it has gone because there's more money is into the TV and especially the movie space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it it brought up some really fantastic discussions about casting. It brought up some fantastic discussions of having a musical really embedded in a political movement. We hadn't had that previously. The fact mm -hmm. that Hamilton was really emerging at the same time as the 2016 election, and so much of the themes in Hamilton were being picked up 
and being put into the news cycle. That was it. That to us was interesting. So we were like, we can't find any other shows yet because it's so close to it, but we have some other ways of getting in there. So you've worked professionally and personally with Sondheim too. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of his shows made the book? Oh my God. Uh, West Side Story, Gypsy. Of course. Company and Sweeney Todd. Those are the four that got in there. I can, yeah, I can see all of that. Before. And of course, you know, there was discussions about, you know, are we going to put Into the Woods in there? And then you have to go, well, what shows are there because Into the Woods was there? What did Into the Woods do that gave us A, B, C, and D? And it's like, we can't find, like, Music Man's not in there. I love the Music Man, but I'm like, I cannot tell you what the Music Man created a space for. So... Oh, there is so much room for debate. Mm-hmm. I, gosh, and this is going to be fun. Yeah, and that's the point of the, you know, the point of the book was, originally it was we want to have college students that are going to start musical theater have just like a base understanding of like, hey, you should know these 50 shows. And as we were working on it, I was like, let's let's create some debate, you know, and that's healthy. You know, that's healthy. I want people to say, you idiot. How could you not have the Music Man in there? Because it gave us bop, 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 bop. Fabulous. We'll do a second edition. But that's that's the point. 50 key honorable mention stage shows? I mean, I feel like there should be an honorable mention because there's so many shows in there that I know people are going to be like, how dare you? Was Titanic in there? It wasn't. No, Titanic. Titanic. Rebecca set the stage for uh, a bunch of uh, scandals. Yes, it did. It did. That's actually, we should have done that. Carrie's not in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of shows that I know are not represented. I know people are going to be angry about. And that's, but that's awesome. Like, write one, write your own book if you want to like include those or reach out to us and tell us why you think this show should be included or why that show should be off the list. There's got to be a follow up to this because the history, the musical theater history, and I feel like, side note, you and Jen Tepper need to have like a musical theater trivia showdown. <laughs> She's going to win. Um, <laughs> I, I, I bow to Jen right now. Jen, Jen will win this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Her knowledge is incredible. And your, yours is, too. I, I feel like there is so much to know. And you as an educator, too, as a teacher, you have to choose what you focus on because there's only so much in the day and yeah. so much time in the day. And when... Uh, like now, even my kids, we talked about my kids a second ago, they're not learning cursive anymore. There's just not time enough in the day to teach yep. them cursive. There's other things that are technologically necessary now yeah. to include, like yeah. how to be a good online citizen, not to, like, that's part of their curriculum is to learn not to cyber bully or be cyber bullied, right? I, a huge thing. Right. I think that's I think fantastic. I had no I idea because that yeah. was around when we were, I think, we're mm-hmm. around the same age. It's yeah, 41. Good. Oh, okay. I'm 38. I'm 38. So that wasn't around when we were growing no. up. No, none of it. None of it. Because I, I, in 98, when I went to college, I, ha- I left my analog modem and had broadband in, in university. Yeah. <laughs> so we are of that special little cusp of knowing yeah. what modem use is like in AOL. You've got mail. That was oh. the best sound. That was the best sound. What a sound. And that, that dial-up sound. Oh, my God. I lived <laughs> in that. I so my it. point. my point was... 
as an educator, when you're thinking about the book, you're thinking about what goes in and you're trying to narrow down the 50 and figuring out what is important, uh, equally important is how are you determining what to leave out? Because there have to have been, I mean, I don't know how many uh, Broadway shows there have been in the history of Broadway. I figure, I picture like crime scene, uh, detective sort of room where you've got pins and strings going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. It actually was very similar to that, which was like, it was like you would put in a show and then you would create like branches and go, what stemmed from this show? And there are some shows where, like we were saying before, you know, people really love, but we're like, we can't, I can't figure out what this show is doing. Or yeah, that show did that, but there was a show before it that did it uh, before that one. So maybe that one's the one that should go in. But that's how we sort of, we pieced it together. Could you trace it back to specific people? Like Sondheim being one of them. Sondheim is one, Hal Prince is one, um, uh, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein Mm -hmm. are two. Um, Those were the names that I think were really coming up the most in terms of a really influential thing. And that's, you know, but unfortunately, that's also one of the things that we cover in the book, which is as much as we would love to rewrite the history, it is really for the longest time a bunch of white guys who were rich, who were creating this art form. And as much as we would love to say that wasn't the case, it was the case. And so I think when people read the book, they might go, wow, there's a lot of diversity that's lacking in the book, but that's also the history of the theater. And now we're in a, I I think if we like rewrite and try to make shows seem more important than they actually were, I think that dissipates the current struggle that we're having right now and the discussions we're having right now about why theater needs to change. Hmm. So then looking forward, what do you think has been the most recent production that is going to influence modern American theater? Besides Hamilton? Yeah. Okay, besides Hamilton, I think you're going to see a a lot more things like uh, Come From Away, which I think is really focused on human kindness um, I think that's going to be something that you're going to see a lot of. I think a strange loop is going to be something that's really going to knock uh, things out of the park because it's so brilliant and so funny and so truthful. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I think that's an exciting time to be in that you can have something as fierce and ferocious as that. And it's entertaining at the same exact time. So I'm hoping people will be inspired by Michael's work to create more things like that. So those are the shows that I'm picturing going forward. I hope I hope that too, along the lines of inclusion, representation, and diversity, that it, it, you know Hamilton changed the game in terms of casting, and you touched on that uh, among many other things. And I uh, I think it was it was Brandon Uranowitz when I was talking with him for for Burn This. Oh yeah, he said this that was the first time in his long career he has played a character who is openly gay as an openly gay man in real life where being gay wasn't a plot point absolutely absolutely because i mean how many years of gay plays have there been where that if if you were a gay character that was the main issue that Mm -hmm. was central issue and i'm hoping that we'll have more shows like that where a gay character yeah they're part of it a trans character they're part of it it's not it's not this big thing. It's just, it's because it's part of our daily life. And I'm hoping we'll see more shows like that. I'm really hoping that we will. Yeah, I think, I, I think yeah, we will. I, I think we should. 
what brand really, is coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really hope so. Um, so let's wrap up here with my three standard closing questions. Oh, okay. I ask everybody. The Great. first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? What motivates me? Love. The love of this. The love of storytelling. Um, that's what motivates me. The fact that I get to wake up every morning. I, I realize that at any second, this could all be taken away. And so for my feeling is, is you have to live every single day to the fullest because you just don't know when the clock is going to stop. That's what motivates me. I've started feeling that way 40. It was like a switch. When yeah. I hit 40, I was just like, oh, my parents are old and yeah. everybody, there's people younger than me dying. And yeah. one of the big things that hit home was uh, around our neighborhood, our fam, our family of theater was Nick Cordero's death from COVID. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, oh. younger than me, younger than our, your age, younger than me, um, just perfectly healthy and then gone. Like, yes. that, that hit me in a way that nothing else had at that point. One of the healthiest, healthiest guys you've ever seen in your life and, the, and young and yeah. then just not here. Yeah. Not here. In a million years, no one would have predicted that. Mm -mm. Um, I yeah, it, it, I, there's something about approaching forty that really is. It's a, I, I don't want to say a slap in the face, but it's just a nice reminder of how much time you have left. So, <laughs> I was talking to my therapist about this the other day. I was like, you know, in my forties, and now I'm forty one. That now it's it's like I think about death a lot. She goes, "Welcome to being 40. Great. That's what <laughs> that's what people do. I'm like, oh, great. Well, well, also asking now for the copays ahead of time. So that's <laughs> of course. Okay. Second question. Then, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Um, if opportunity isn't knocking, build a door. Um, if people are not appreciating your talent, you don't have to wait for them to validate it. You create your own opportunities, and don't listen to anybody. Don't listen to anybody. Uh, you can, you can, uh, especially teachers. <laughs> can, I <say> that? <laughs> can I say that or is that wrong? No, you're a teacher. Say whatever you'd like. Um, you have you, you you know what feels right in your gut. You know what your dreams are, and it does not matter if a teacher or anyone looks at you and goes, "Oh, you're not cut out for this business." Fuck that. Mm -hmm. You want to be cut? You want this business? You want to be a part of it? Great. Find your way in. I love that. I love that advice because when you look at some of the people who are the most iconic right now, that you wouldn't traditionally think, like they don't they don't fit the Corey Cott type, right? You, which oh. you probably get. You look like a Josh Gad, you know, somebody like that who has found such a place for his type of voice and his body type and so many things. Josh Gad, Josh Lehman. Um, I'm trying to think of some other people that fit that. Um, Ali look at Sis. Look at Sis oh. right now. Yeah, it's yeah. like, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. It's your uniqueness is what sells you. And what drives me crazy is when I see musical theater programs, look at somebody that's unique and go, oh my God, they're never going to be in the chorus of Newsies. We have to cut them from the program because they're going to stand out. They should stand out. That's the point. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of this. Mm -hmm. And that that's what disheartens me because I've seen so many great students that because teachers did not know what to do with their uniqueness, the student left the business because they thought there was something wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. It's the teacher is wrong. And I'm a teacher. I, I 
think that's our that's our pull quote for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Teachers are wrong. No. Teachers are wrong. Period. Teachers are wrong. Okay. Uh, last question then. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh, Gypsy. I'm going to see Gypsy. <laughs> Why? Why Gypsy? I love that score. I love that book. I think it's one of the first musicals to have fully three-dimensional characters in it. And the story to me is fascinating. Wow. Fascinating. That wow. this woman would allow her daughters to do what they do because in some way it means they're getting validation from strangers. And I'm like, this is fascinating. That's, that's, that's that one. I love that. All right. So where can we find you online? You can find me on Facebook at Robert W. Schneider. You can find me on Instagram at Rob W. Schneider, Twitter, Rob W. Schneider, um, or listen to one of the 9,000 podcasts that I have. We'd love <laughs> to have you come listen to us. BPN.fm slash Behind the Curtain Thank is you. a short link for your podcast. And of course, again, check the show notes of this episode for links to get tickets for J2, the J2 Spotlight Musical Theater Company season and pre-order the book, which I cannot wait to read. It sounds like I'm just going to be going through earmarking so I can just text you and be like, yeah. The fuck, Rob. The fuck. Yes, like, that's what we want. That's <laughs> what we want. Like, let's have a conversation. That's what we want. I love it. I love it. You can get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening now, including Spotify. Spotify allows you to do ratings now. This has been edited by Well Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Robert W. Schneider, thank you so much for this lovely conversation. Alan, it was an absolute pleasure. I hope we get to do it again. Anytime, man. I'm here for you. Yay. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.